It's got a soul, this here old farm It falls asleep inside my arms We walk the fields under the stars For love is here in Goldshaw Farms Welcome to Goldshaw Farm. I'm your host, Morgan Gold. On each episode of our podcast, I bring you stories of people who are homesteading, farming, and chasing their dreams. And today's episode is going to be a little bit different than usual. Now, one of the things that I've enjoyed the most about getting into farming and homesteading has been the community. The connections I've made, the friendships that have developed, the people I've gotten to meet, it's just been an incredible experience. And while many of those connections are scattered all around the world, and you know, when I do interviews, for example, for this podcast, I'm usually conducting the interview over Skype with somebody, so it's less of a face-to-face interaction and more of like a, a telephone call between friends. That doesn't mean I don't have friends who are right here in my area, here in northern Vermont, who are also into farming, who are also into homesteading. In fact, in the small little corner where I live, it's incredible the sheer number of people who are focused on leading a lifestyle that's more self-sufficient and more focused on producing good, sustainable food. Zach Mangione and Rachel Moragues are two friends of mine who have a farm, uh, Cross Farms. Zach started the farm a couple of years ago. The farm is Zach's primary source of income. And, you know, unlike me, who is working towards being a farmer, he is actually a working farmer. And it's been great to have a friend like Zach because he's learned and, and, and gotten to know so many different things that I just am really starting to scratch the surface of. He's a great source of advice and somebody I can bounce ideas off of. And it's been interesting to watch him manage his farm business and try to make his way. And Rachel has been just an awesome friend of mine over the last couple of years. She actually runs the farmer's market that we have here in Peachum, Vermont. Um, She is a transplant from kind of urban life, much like I am. And, and, you know, we've definitely connected a lot. And and so I figured it would be interesting for you guys on, on today's episode to sit down with me and a couple of my friends and hear us talk about their farm and what they're trying to do, talk about farmer's markets, talk about life up here in, in northern Vermont, and, and give you guys kind of a glimpse. Uh, th- like I said, this is, this is a bit different. Um, you know, these are not people that you might know from YouTube or Instagram or, you know, the agricultural intellectual circuit. They are just a couple of friends of mine. But... I think that they have a very compelling story, and you guys are going to find this one very interesting. When I was in college in Vermont, which is how I originally got to Vermont, I grew up in like the Albany, New York area. Uh, I went to college right outside of Burlington, and, you know, there's a pretty bustling, thriving agricultural scene there, uh, so that's kind of where I first got involved, um, 
and I don't know, just got interested. It's kind of hard when you to live uh, in that area or in Vermont and not be exposed to like ideas about farming or like where your food comes from and production systems and stuff like that. So that's where I got started um, at the Intervale Center. I started volunteering uh, in return for vegetables on a farm and then kind of a funny story so then I kind of like knew that I, I had like the farming bug like I, I just knew it um, and when I moved to I moved to New Hampshire to the Franconia area and when I moved I was looking for a job um, and I had a friend of mine that I went to college with who lived in Franconia, and she, I was like, hey, Julianne, I'm looking for a job, like, you know, anything like that might be interesting to me, and uh, she was like, well, I don't know much about it, she's like, but I had this teacher in high school, and he has a blueberry and poop farm, uh, and so I was like, what are you talking about, but she hooked me up with him, um, and then, so I got hired there. And then I worked there for like eight years. And then ultimately started your And then ultimately, yeah, started my own farm. And now, Rachel, how did you end up here in Vermont? Can I ask one question in this interview? Absolutely. <laughs> what the hell is a blueberry and poop farm? No, that's what I said. So she wasn't actually totally incorrect. Uh, his initial plan... Uh, was to grow blueberries and make compost. All right. That makes and sense. I, see, I heard blueberry and poop farm, and it sounded very natural to me because, I mean, compost, there's a market for it. I know a couple different compost farms around mm -hmm. here in this area. It's not crazy. No. Clearly, I'm not from here. <laughs> <laughs> so where are you from? So where am I from? I don't know how to answer that at this point. Most recently, outside of L.A., I was living there for three years and I hated it and very quickly I decided that that was no place to raise two little boys and I thought about it for a good long time and decided that Vermont had everything that I thought I needed for them. The reason why I was in LA is I was married at the time to a man who was a professor scientist and we were there for his work he unfortunately passed away and when that happened fortunately we had already figured out where we were gonna go so I loaded up and I left with my boys and my dog my mom and we drove around Vermont for like a month I had never been here I didn't know anybody found a house on Craigslist and across the street from Morgan Gold <laughs> and that's where I ended up it's funny how that works out yes so we're here and we're happy it was a really sad story turned into a good ending and I wouldn't be anywhere else and now you've started to work on the farm now too I have actually how did that um, happen so I was here for a year after all that went down, kind of like culture shocking a bit and acclimating to Vermont, a totally different planet. And a friend of mine thought 
that I might be interested in managing the farmer's market we have in town. Like, okay, sure. So I sent emails out to people, drove around, called people on the phone that have farms. Zach was one of them. He agreed to come to the market. And I had a big crush on him. And then we got together. <laughs> and now we're moving in together. And I'm like doing farmer stuff. Big change. And what's it like having somebody else in the picture on the farm, Zach? Uh, it's great. Um, I don't know. It's What were you going to say? I was going to say it's great because I'm a really quick learner. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I was just saying, it's it's fun uh, to like kind of teach somebody about what you're so passionate about. Uh, it's also like can be a bit challenging because like I'm really I'm like it's hard. I have to work on this, but I'm like the type of person just like want to do all the work myself because I just like. It seems, in my mind, it seems, like, faster to just do it than to, like, try to explain it to someone. Uh, so I'm learning to and get better I with that. And I knew nothing about farming. I was, like, in academics and social sciences. Like, literally nothing. I've lived in cities. Now, now what's your farm now comprised of for you guys? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Well, I raise, sorry, certified organic pork and lamb and poultry, primarily chicken and turkeys for the Thanksgiving and Christmas market. Uh, so right now there's about 90 head of sheep, give or take, um, on the farm and currently about 320 or so chickens for meat and, uh, not a whole lot of pigs at the moment. Uh, how many? Five, six, seven. There's only 11 pigs on the farm right now. But a bunch of those are breeding stock. So theoretically, hopefully three of those are pregnant. So you got piglets coming. Piglets coming. <laughs> yeah. Now, in terms of how you manage them, like what, what sort of processes do you put to that? Sure, yeah, so they're all raised on, uh, they're all, like, pasture-raised, um, so, like, in terms of the sheep, the main flock, like, the ewes and lambs are uh, out on permanent pasture, and they're rotated uh, to a new piece every single day, um, and then the... Um, the chickens, the meat birds, uh, they're also on pasture rotating, uh, but it's kind of a different, unique setup, I think, that I use uh, for that production. A lot of people run meat birds and chicken tractors, um, but I've never really been fond of those. I find them to be kind of a pain and clunky, and especially with a lot of birds, I mean, I either make have to make like really large ones or have a lot of them. Um, so instead what I do is run the birds inside, uh, two full runs of poultry netting. So it's somewhere around like a thousand square feet, I think. And then inside of that, they have a Quonset hut, uh, for shelter. And so the meat birds, I like, I pull, I still pull their shelter ahead every day. And so they start at one end of the 
netting and when they get to the next end that I set up a new run and just pull it into that one and just keep doing that and um, and they're on pasture for five weeks and then they go to slaughter and the pigs are also uh, on pasture uh, in the summer as well you know spring summer fall and the same deal they don't get rotated quite as often depends on like what age animal it is and how many there are but <laughs> and and in terms of the markets that you guys sell like where do you sell how do you sell it do you sell the restaurants wholesale like how do you go so primary it's all primary it's pretty much all my sales marketing is direct to the customer um, so at the farm we uh, have a farm store self-service farm store uh, open pretty much 24 hours a day seven days a week since I never close the door or shut the light off um, and then uh, this season we're attending three farmers markets uh, Littleton New Hampshire Peachum Vermont and uh, this year we'll be at Plainfield Vermont and then I do a small, right now, small amount of uh, restaurant sales, um, primarily to a friend of mine who owns a restaurant in Littleton. Um, and really, my main focus has been I'd really uh, enjoy to grow the business at the farm. So people coming to the farm to purchase uh, their meat. Why, why focus there? Because uh, it's the least amount of cost for me um, in time uh, in terms of cost and labor. Um, so, you know, I mean, as much as I enjoy farmer's markets and, like, socializing and getting into the community, there are a tremendous amount of work. And, uh, and so it would just be ideal for customers to, at least, like, you know, people in the surrounding towns to come to the farm and I think also people uh, we actually had a really interesting conversation about what? like the, ex the experience the customer gets of like coming to the farm oh yeah and uh, they enjoy that um, can I say something about farm stands so that was when I got to Vermont one of the weirdest things I'd ever seen Explain it for people who are listening who might not be familiar with our model of farm stands. So farm stands, <laughs> and like keep in mind that I was outside of LA, so it was like triple weird. But farm stands, you just like, you drive up to somebody's house or somebody's barn, and there's a sign that says, come on in, and you go on in, and then there's just a bunch of stuff, a bunch of veggies, or a bunch of meat, in our case, and coolers, refrigerators, freezers. And then there's like a little receipt book and a box where you put some money and people just go in and they do the honor system and people don't really get robbed that often. And it's just something I had never seen before. I thought that when I got here, oh, what are these people thinking? They're just like leaving boxes of money out and freezers full of food. They're going to get jacked, but it doesn't happen. It's Vermont. There was like one instance I can think of last year where like last that summer. happened and it like rocked the whole community when it did happen. Like every like that was all people talked about for like two weeks. Yeah, it was kind of interesting too. Actually, when that happened last year, because three the three vegetable farms, well, three 
Kind of interesting. There's four vegetable farms in Barnet, which is kind of mind-blowing if you think about it. Such a small town. But three out of those and then got robbed in the same day, but uh, my place didn't, interestingly enough. But, and my neighbors, who were literally across the road, they got... They're probably from. vegetarian thieves. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> have something against that livestock and <laughs> meat. Yeah, <laughs> money, blood, money. <laughs> so I'm not sure why, but plus, fortunate. Plus the whole thing, like we were talking about the other day, where there's there's just something about knowing where your food comes from, and there's a like-mindedness to our customers that come in and want to buy local food. And you see where you see where it comes from. You're you're putting your money in the little box and looking to the right, and there's a whole field full of sheep. And that just feels good and right, as opposed to going to the big grocery store and you don't know where that stuff has been. You don't want to know, and if you did, you probably wouldn't go there. This might be like slightly off topic, but can we tell you a story about what we were talking about? Yeah, I'm curious. Yeah. yeah. So, how did it get started? Oh, I don't... Well, I don't know how the conversation totally got started. What was it this morning? It was on the way to the farmer's market. I don't remember. know. I don't know how it got started, but... Essentially, I was talking about... I was talking about the cost of buying local food and how many people view it as expensive. Especially, like... Especially served organic meats. Um, because compared to the cost of... Conventional, okay. industrial, farmed, raised meats in the grocery store. It's quote unquote expensive, but really the reality is is that the food in the grocery store is just extraordinarily cheap. And I was saying that I don't know how I totally got there, but essentially that you know. Part of the reason, like, why customers, I think, like to come to the farm is they like the experience of coming to the farm, of seeing the animals and just being on the farm and, like, the opportunity to have an interaction with me uh, if, we ha if I happen to check in on them or whatever. And I was saying that just wouldn't it be interesting if, like, instead of going to the grocery store to buy your industrial farm-raised meats or vegetables or fruits if you had to like go to the like pig barn in oh, iowa right. or like go to the strawberry fields in california concrete chicken house or like or go to and buy your meat or fruits or vegetables from the places where they're actually grown there'd be a huge shift i think i don't think people would mind too much if it cost a dollar more so, they saw. It was an interesting thought experiment. So, Rachel, I know you know one of the other things you do is manage the the peach market. What what's that experience like managing a farmers market in a small town? It's this year. It's awesome. It's been going really well. Last year it was tough. My first year was really tough because it being a small town, I was faced with the catch-22 of vendors don't have enough customers so they they're not making money they're not happy and they're not coming and then the customers don't want to come to the market because there's not enough stuff being sold so when I 
jumped in on this. We had a really low vendor base and like no vegetables, for example, and vendors weren't feeling like their their time was being valued or it was worth it to come and therefore the people at Peachum were not going. So I pushed to get a strong vendor base. People took chances coming to our market and it worked because we have a good community that supports it and we got a good variety and then more people joined during the season even they heard that it was working out and they came and then this year most of our vendors from last year are coming back and we have new people coming and word on the street is that Peach and Mark has a really good reputation and people want to be there and that has alleviated a lot of my stress being a farmer's market manager and has allowed me to focus on more of the community aspect of it. So not only are we a farmer's market now, but we have collaborated with the library. They're gonna do story time for kids. We have the, the PTF, the school group, who's gonna send little kids in with like their cookies and their garden leftovers to, to sell their stuff and give the money back to the school. We have different local initiatives and businesses coming each week and it's it's become more of a community weekly gathering event which is cool for peachum and cool for vendors because more people will be here and hopefully they'll make more money well and i think it's it's interesting to watch kind of the the revitalization because i mean we're a tiny town like we're, we're, we're for people listening town. and don't know this like we're like 750 people everybody knows each other <laughs> really and but to be able to sustain a farmer's market like it really requires that community support but then it also to your point like you can get into that death spiral if yeah. you have this vicious cycle of you know not the right vendors which means you don't have customers which means the vendors that you still have don't want to be there right so like what was it that you did that sort of pulled it out of this, the death spiral like how do you convince those first couple of vendors to jump back in um i tried to be charming <laughs> really is what it came down to. I said that I really believe in this. I really want you guys to be here. And I think that if we get just our bases covered, get vegetables, get bread, get meat, get eggs, just the basics of any farmer's market, that it'll it'll pick up. Please, please, please join my market. And people, they, they took a chance and they did it. And it, it happened, luckily. It could have gone either way, to tell you the truth. So there's that aspect of it. And then advertising, marketing. Thank you, Morgan. Um, and just keeping keeping it on people's mind and keeping it positive and not, you know, not being ho-hum about it. Like, you got to come. It's cool. It's super fun. And look how many vendors we have and check out these musicians and just pumping it up and getting people hyped and it worked hmm. and, and zach as you're looking at a market like peach i'm like what do you feel like you need to do given like what you said earlier how much of a like a work investment it is a time investment like how do you focus on going to a market and trying to make yourself successful like, like what are the things you do there 
<clears throat> in terms of like trying to make the market successful for me, like, yeah, like uh, make it a good business, business venture. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, um, I mean, I th it's important. Uh, well, I mean to look at all the marketing aspects, but it's really important to have like a appealing display. Um, you know, so your farm stand or your setup at the farmers market, um, so that's you know draws people in. It's engaging. I mean, if it if it like looks half-assed, then that kind of yeah relates to may may or may not, but it, it gives the image that perhaps your farm's half-assed or your business is half-assed, and so you know I spend a good part of time thinking about you know what's visually appealing to people to draw them in. And then uh, engage, like, really it's important to engage, uh, engage customers. Uh, like you know, being charming and friendly. <laughs> like being charming and friendly. Yeah, you know, and uh, just engaging them in conversation. Um, and I don't know, I mean, those are two huge important aspects, I think. And there's a strategy, too. And this is, like, speaking as a manager and now a vendor know which markets to join and know which ones not to and a lot of that is about market infiltration and not like not joining a little market that maybe has like four meat vendors because it's too much competition so like at the pizza market i'm very mindful about not having too much of one thing because i don't think the vendors will be as successful and feel so good about coming back so when when we were looking at markets to join this year, we look at like which what are the other meat vendors and if there were meat vendors and they're not coming back this year, why? And kind of kind of trying to look at it strategically. Hopefully, we'll see. We haven't. We'll yeah. see. <laughs> so far, so good. So Zach, what what's been the hardest part of, of keeping your farm going? Mm. <laughs> Where do we begin? Um, well, uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, I mean, finances, I guess. Money. Money, yeah. For the most part, it's. I mean, it's hard. Like, I mean, like any. Well, you know, I mean, I'm like any startup business. Or most, I suppose, you know, they don't tend to make profits in the first few years. Um, but it's a, it's a challenge. Um, it's especially, I mean, I've already mentioned this, but it's a challenge with, like, certified organic meats. Uh, particularly when it comes to, like, pork and poultry production. Because uh, they're heavy grain feeders, you know, commercial grain. Uh, I mean, we're fortunate, really fortunate, actually, to have a great mill right in Barnet, um, which is fantastic. But the cost of organic grain versus conventional or even, like, conventional uh, non-GMO is almost double. Um, but, like, my, my product doesn't command twice the price uh so it's less margin less it? margin right so yeah. the margins are much slimmer uh on it um so yeah the money is a challenge um and then of course there can be setbacks with 
the weather or what predation which I've been <laughs> struggling <laughs> with recently you more as yes you're familiar <laughs> with um, you can't it's, it's not like you're sitting at a desk trying to like collect data sets you're dealing with nature and the unpredictable and you don't have control yeah there's a lot of yeah a lot and of yeah that. weather like you can, you can flood out someone could eat all your right or like it can like drop to 10 degrees in like middle of April when you're brooding day old chicks and it's pretty hard to keep them warm. Uh, so, you know, again, in farming, there's a lot of variables, so it's going to be a challenge, um, I'd say. And, I mean, part, parts of what makes farming so challenging, like, I mean, you're, like, you're, like, animal husbandry and, like, animal nutrition and, uh, you know, you got to be a plumber and a electrician to a small degree and uh, an accountant and uh, you know there's all these I mean so many skill sets that you need to have when you're operating a small farm uh, so it, it, it makes the work exciting uh, and interesting but it also can pose many challenges as well Rachel, you're smirking. <laughs> I was just thinking on the challenges. It's like, like I mentioned earlier, I have two little boys on my own until recently. And a lot of what Zach does and has to deal with reminds me of just like the, the bullshit that can be thrown at you when you're a mom. You think that like everything is going to go fine. You do your very best. You try really hard. You, you can read some books. You can talk to other moms. And you never know how it's going to turn out. And it sometimes, for me at least, feels like, well, why? Like, I'm doing everything right. Why isn't it working? And I see you having to go through that yeah. with your little sheepies and, you know, stuff going wrong. And you're right. The skill sets you have to have, like, that's just a short list. Right, yeah. The things you have to know. Just to like keep all the animals alive, to keep your building, your farm, your barn, your everything. Then like the business part of it and the interpersonal right. part of it. Yeah. Sorry. It's not easy. No. It's rewarding. Well that's the thing. I mean But it's not easy. What makes it so challenging is also what makes it so rewarding. I mean, there's a reason also, but you know, there's a good, there's a, there's a good reason why, you know, farms are, well, my farms are in decline. I mean, is because it's really tough work. But uh, then you look at it big picture. That's that's one of the things I value most about this new lifestyle that I've landed in, is that the overall big picture. Like, you're, you're raising your own food. There's, like, nothing more sturdy you could do with yourself. You know where your food comes from. You see the whole process. You work for it. You pay for it. Sometimes it's hard, but at the end of the day, you're, like, there's, there's, there's nothing else quite like that experience of saying, well, I put all this together and it worked, and now I have this, like, big fat meal. I'm going to feed my family. I know right where it came from. There's nothing funky in it. It's it's so valuable, so important. So Zach, tell me because I, I 
I know one of the worst things I've been dealing with here with our ducks has been predation. Mm. Like, <laughs> let's hear your horror stories. It's brutal. It's brutal, man. Let's start with the turkeys. The turkey, well, yeah, man. that's where it all. I didn't. So, yeah, I've had no predation with the pigs uh, or the sheep, um, and that's been they've been fine, and that's great. I mean, my sheep fence is pretty rugged, six strand high tensile. Um, and the pigs, well, there aren't too many animals that I think feel like messing with four or five hundred pound angry mama sows, <laughs> so they've been fine. But the poultry's been a problem as of recently. The first two years, I didn't have any problems at all. Uh, I think the I don't know the animals must have been like still trying to figure out where all that good smell of free chicken was coming from. Uh, but it seems that in the third year. They figured it out, and uh, then it kind of became a free-for-all last fall. Uh, so it started with the meat birds. Some animal was somehow slipping underneath the electric netting uh, and, like, picking off, like, one chicken a night for, like, weeks and weeks. Um, and, then, and then it started in with my Thanksgiving turkeys, of which I lost 50 about to a predator, uh, which was real rugged. Or several predators. Or several. Well, yeah. We tried my, to track them. There were like different footprints. I caught skunks. Caught some skunks. Got a couple of raccoons. I remember you shot a couple of raccoons, which I felt really bad about. You went crazy. Uh, I was losing my I'm gonna, mind. I'm going to put that on the record, even. <laughs> I was like. Uh, you were like jumping up, putting on your headlamp early in the morning, grabbing a gun and stomping rounds, around in the doing field. Doing the rounds, checking well, my animals. But I know what you mean because I mean, like two months ago, I was like getting out there every night, setting all these like clamp traps, bringing our cats in, like you know, I, like I'd never set a snap trap before <laughs> in my life, but now I have it's like a whole skill set to develop. But it was all because I was like getting driven crazy by this yeah. mink that was yeah. eating ducks, like. Yeah. It, it really gets to you. Like, cause, yeah. I don't know. I think it's... You you feel like, number one, this responsibility for the animal. Absolutely, yeah. And then there's this financial connection on top of it. And, like, those two things, like, trigger this visceral, visceral reaction with predators where it's mm. just like, ah! Like, I don't like to kill animals, me, but, like, oh, man, that mink, if I run across it... Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, the things you do to him or her. <laughs> yeah. No, I... I it's... It completely, yeah. I mean, like, you feel bad that something's killing your animals. And then, I mean, it was like every day if I found a dead turkey, I was just, like, looking at, like, you know, piles of dollar bills, like, just laying there. Uh, so that was a bummer. But the worst incident I've had was recently when the night before my meat, my first group of meat birds were supposed to go on to pasture. Uh out of the brooder and onto the pasture, a weasel got in and killed 104 in one night. Uh, and massacre. It was a massacre. It was the, uh, yep. Yeah. And weasels are the biggest jerks because they don't even eat them. They just bite their throats and suck I want blood. to suck your blood. <laughs> and then leave them there. So, so it's just like this yeah. bloody carcass mess. Yeah, so that was pretty devastating. Yeah. Uh, 
I was pretty upset about that one. So, but when you when you have something like that happen, how do you like pick yourself up and keep going? Yeah, it's a good question. You kind of just have to. I don't know. It's but that, those are the things. You know, those type of financial losses on a small farm are, are hard. They're kind of major setbacks. Um, it really snowballs like intensely too, because like you. Yeah. You lose the turkeys, and that turkey money is the money that you're counting on to get you through the winter. You don't have that money, so you're like, "Oh, geez, I hope these, I hope these chickens pull it off, and then I can make my money back." And then a weasel comes in and eats your chickens, and then you're like, "Oh, shit. what yeah. am I gonna do?" And people are like lining up. Can we have some more chicken, please? Like at the market today, everyone wanted chicken. Yeah. And you were telling me every time someone was like, everyone, every time someone said they wanted chickens. I could just like see him like God damn weasel. That's true. Like this spark in your eye just being mad at that weasel all over oh, again. Yeah. So I don't know. Do it better and different next time, I guess. And it's really hard to prevent like that's both you guys. Like you have tight systems. The chickens were in a chicken coop that had housed many a chicken before. But weasels, something else I didn't know being a city person. I hear that they can squeeze into a space the size of a quarter. Yeah. So just like a teeny tiny little hole holes you didn't even wipes know out are. all your chickens. Bastards. And they just suck their blood. <laughs> and they were really awful animals. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not yeah. an animal killer at all, but I would kill a weasel. Yeah, it's chicken massacre. I mean, that's where like coyotes I can like respect. Like... They're gonna go hardcore. They're gonna go hardcore. Like yeah, this like a fox, which will take one, like and just right. like, boom, that's a meal. Okay, I get that. That's nature. But yeah, weasel. That's just yeah. <laughs> that's just with you. Yeah, yeah. That's weasels, fox. I had fox ate a bunch of my laying hens, bunch of them. But you know, I don't really think I've never actually heard a direct story of anyone farming. Livestock who's had a coyote. I know, I know. Predate their animals around here. Uh, I, actually, yeah. I, I do. Um, so, um, some friends, mutual known, um, they're over in, uh, they were over in Danville. Oh, yeah. They had uh, coyotes take a couple lambs. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Mean. Yeah. But it's not that common, I don't think. It's these smaller. Stinky, sly predators that come on. Yeah, they're they're way worse. But I think yeah. back to your I don't know a livestock Anyways. farmer game, right? I don't know a livestock farmer who hasn't had to deal with predators. Predation. I mean, that's, like yeah. that's a, I'm like, I mean, I guess cattle. Like you don't have to worry about it. Pigs. Yeah. To your point, I think. Yeah, pigs. To... I mean, I have no friends who have had like something attack their pigs before. But by and large, I think yeah, larger animals not so much, but. Smaller stock. And there's really not much, at least from what I've heard, there's like not many easy solutions. Dogs. Dogs, yeah. You can get a livestock guardian dog, or you can get like a mean old howling dog that can wake you up at least so you can get out there. But, I mean, electric fences, traps, those have a heart traps, or you don't actually kill the animal. Those don't. Yeah. I mean, they trap them, but dude's just gonna come right back and eat your chickens. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Anyway. So, 
<laughs> to lift it back up a little bit <laughs> after moaning about predators. Um, you know, what are your plans for the future with the farm? Like, where where do you guys want to go with things? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm still figuring that out. Of course, it's always gonna be changing. But uh, I mean, my main my main interest when I started the farm was always in the sheep and production of of lamb. Um, and I mean, I intentionally diversified a little bit because if I was going to direct market, um, you know, to, to draw in customers, I felt like I needed to have something more than just lamb. So that's why I started with the pigs and the chickens. Um, I'm actually like currently scaling the pig production back a bit, um, from what I thought I was going to do. And I'm increasing the chicken production, so I guess the short answer is I kind of see the the sheep enterprise growing and the poultry enterprise um, growing and probably shrinking uh, the the pig enterprise to kind of just meet uh, like my current sales of of pork without trying to grow that too much when, when you look at it from like a profitability standpoint like how do you rank the animals yeah and it kind of i think rank it like sheep chickens pigs <laughs> and and that is a huge motivator but it's not the only motivating factor i have um i just don't really turns out like raising pigs all that much? Yeah, I think you can rank them on like stress levels too, and pigs definitely are um, stress provoking at times. Yeah, they're just they're just tough they're destructive. On, they're tough on equipment, on infrastructure, on the ground. Well, but how much of that is um, because I, I've heard from other people, right? That uh, you know, pigs are easy. Oh, you just gotta set them up and go. Well, how much is? But how much is because you breed yeah, versus yeah, if you yeah, just bought yeah. a bunch of feeder if, pigs? Yeah, if you year. buy feeder pigs, it is easy. They don't get too all that rambunctious by like six or seven months old when you slaughter them, and you get to pick and choose when you have pigs around. Uh, but yeah, keeping like a, bo- a boar and sows uh, is like it's night and day to just raising feeder pigs. Um, and they're big. Okay, you can't. Animal. They're big. Pick them up big, and move dense, them like a chicken. <laughs> they're big, dense animals. Well, they don't do. They also like don't really do anything you want them to. No, they don't. Uh, so, yeah. So there's a huge difference between raising, like you know, feeders that you buy at eight weeks and keep them for four more months and then they're gone, as opposed to keeping a bunch of breeding stock. Well, and also to the uh, the sheep is more. It's like more of a specialty market, I think. Too. Well, yeah. And yeah. as we expand the sheep production, we've talked about like different, not necessarily wholesale, but like different opportunities because not everyone is doing sheep, and there's a lot like different places you could go with sheep versus pork. And yeah, I just happen to like the sheep. And they're a lot they're better. so cute and good. <laughs> yeah, they're easy. Cute. It's not like totally why I like them. But, That's why I like but them. But they're cute. But they're they're just more interesting animals to me. Uh, but and also from a perspective of like kind of like what I really like value about and like kind of what my mission and values are in farming, like the production of like sheep being ruminant animals. 
really aligns the closest with what I think like real sustainable agriculture would be. Um, because like the sheep are a hundred, hundred percent grass fed. So, you know, they're on pasture from, you know, somewhere around May through somewhere around the beginning of November. And then they're, you know, on hay that I don't currently, uh, hay that's, oh yeah, I suppose I missed that part. That's part of the future of the farm. Hopefully is haying. Uh, but then they're on hay that, you know, comes that I buy uh, from a farmer that I work with uh, in the next town over. So, I mean, their whole feed source minus, like, the salt and minerals uh, and some of the herbs and stuff that they get uh, is, you know, produced within, like, yeah. 10 miles. Well, like, majority of it on the farm and then the rest, like, 10 miles away on a neighboring farm. Uh as opposed to like the pork and the chicken where like commercial grain from mills uh, for the most part is like a global trade commodity. So that stuff's coming from all over the world and shipping containers and boats and trains and trucks and so, yeah. And now for, for somebody who's listening to this on like commute into an office job, <laughs> and they hear about the adventures you two are having with this farm and living out here in the middle of nowhere. You know, if they were aspiring to this, what advice would you have for them? Keep your office job. No, I would say I'm keep kidding. your chin up. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I'm, I am kidding. But, uh, I mean, it's definitely... Be prepared. It's a ton of work. Do I mean I get experience? I mean, my biggest suggestion would be if you can, like, get some experience, or at least like, even if it's just like going to visiting some farms right. and like asking every question you possibly can think of, and um, well, yeah. farming. One thing I've learned is that it seems like. The farmers I know that are most successful or most happy even with the work that they do, it's because they've discovered or developed a million tiny little systems for everything. And it's, you know, you can read some books, but like what Zach's saying, you have to like go there and see it and you can learn a lot of little tricks and learn how the animals function learn you know what if you're growing vegetables what ideal conditions are and you have to kind of feel some of that stuff not just read about it so i agree you have to you have to go and check it out before you just say oh i'm gonna be a farmer and it's all gonna be like super cute and i'm gonna like have an instagram account and we're gonna look precious because it, it's hard yeah it's not always like that it can be but it takes a lot of work Absolutely. I think what would be important is decide, like, really decide that is it, like, if it's something that you want to make your career. Yeah, there's no halfway doing it. Well, like, as opposed to, like, do you you want to keep it more of, like, a hobby? Like, which would be, like, maybe, like, homesteading versus, like, more of a commercial farm, like, which I'm running uh because it's just like anything like once you turn your hobby into your career 
it can change tremendously from what you thought it was going to be. Well, it's funny. The other week I was actually interviewing a farmer out in British Columbia, and we were talking about that exactly where, you know, he was categorizing it as there's sort of three stages. There's sort of the the true farm business, which, which you kind of sit at. There is the the homestead, which is just, you know, you're off kind of doing your own science yeah. projects, maybe creating your own food. And then there's sort of the hybrid, which I sit in, which is like the farmstead where I'm selling stuff and a little bit of money, but it's not my primary income source. And, you know, I'm working mostly off farm. Right. And, and, you know, when you think about those three stages, I think you're right that the more it becomes you're relying on it, the less you can just let your passion guide you for it. Right, exactly. Yeah, it can, you know, I think, right, if you're, like, in the homesteading to farmsteading phase, like, it can probably be more, like, about, I don't know, your passion and, like, it can... But, like, you know, when something becomes your career, it takes on a whole different life form and the way you view it and everything like that. Because you take a, you know, you take a weasel loss when you have a desk job and you're like, oh, geez, I have to buy more chickens. But if you take a weasel loss and that's, like... The money that you're gonna use to like feed your kids it's a whole different situation you gotta take it more seriously so that's it that's our episode for this week i hope you guys have enjoyed it um, I had a lot of fun sitting down with, with Zach and Rachel. Uh, really, let me know what you guys thought of this episode. Uh, it's a little bit different. I might do a little bit more of this with, you know, just some of the interesting folks that I know up here. And I'm curious to see what you guys think of it. Uh, so, you know, whether you mention it in the Goldshaw Farm podcast group or you hit us up on Instagram or you just shoot me an email at uh, goldshawfarm at gmail.com. Let me know. I really want to get your feedback on this one as I try some different things as we start to grow the podcast and, and build out our format a little bit. Um, that's pretty much all the time we've got for today. If you guys um, want to rate and review us uh, wherever you get our podcast, every time you do that, it's greatly appreciated. Um, I got to say uh, thank you to Janice who just wrote us an awesome review. It, it was so cool to see that. Also, thank you, Leslie, for all the support you've been showing us. You know, hearing your comments, or actually, I guess I should say reading your comments, it was just really cool to see. If you guys want to learn more about our farm, also, please be sure to check out our YouTube channel, Goldshaw Farm. We put out uh, new videos uh, twice a week, all about our adventures here on the farm as we try to establish things like egg-laying ducks and geese for meat and uh, build out a permaculture orchard. So I look forward to hearing more from you guys, and we will be back with another story on the Goldshaw Farm podcast real soon. And so with that, uh, let's let Mr. Keith Pierce play our theme song. It's got a soul, this hero farm, it falls asleep inside my arms. We work the fields under the stars, the love is here at Goldshaw Farms. A city life yet had its charms. the stars I fall asleep inside its arms the love is here at Goldshop Farms the love is here
cold shot from 